from the man of God this morning. Right, we're just going to believe for Mark. Father, we just lift up Mark to you. And Lord, we just pray for the word that you have placed within him will flow from him and penetrate right to the soil of our hearts. Lord, if there's anything that is hindering, Lord, us to see that, that, that seed come through, we pray, Lord, that you will bind it, that you will stop it, that we will be fertile today to receive the soil. Lord, as we enter into season of spring, Lord, we pray that the spring will be take place in our hearts, that something new will be birthed, ready to take that seed, to see it come through to be a beautiful tree that's going to bear great fruit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Bless you. Amen. Well, it's good to be here again in Rotherham. Um, you know, for three years of my life, kids can go out. Yeah, kids. Okay, see you later, guys. Enjoy. Yeah, for three years of my life, I stayed in Yorkshire. I was at the Marcy Bible College just down the road, uh, 1989, 90, and 91. And in fact, every Sunday night for about two years, I think, I used to come to this church. Was anybody here in 1989, 90, or 91? Oh, all the folk at the back. That's funny, isn't it? <laughs> Something's never changed, hallelujah. And uh, in fact, I was praying with the young people on uh, the youth leaders on um, Friday night. And I remember every second week I used to come here on a Friday night to work with the young people. I thought, wow, there's real connections with this church. It was when Jim McGeeky was here. And uh, I, used to, I used to love coming here and uh, meeting some of you guys. So we had a long um, association. Uh, we've been in the Philippines for 12 years. And a uh, wonderful time in the Philippines. And first of all, I want to really thank you for your support, for your prayers, for being behind us. What God did in the Philippines was really incredible, really amazing. But we couldn't do it without people like you praying for us, supporting us, uh, praying, uh, supporting some of our pastors over there. We are just so grateful. And also sending out some people to the Philippines. How many people here have been to the Philippines? Oh, the front row. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, and of course we have a Filipino lady here. And uh, now God's called us to go to another difficult land of Wales. Oh, look, look over at the back. He's very happy. Come on. He lives about five, ten minutes from where we live. It's quite incredible. He used to live there. God has called us to go back to Wales. Uh, and to our, our church in Singapore have bought the Bible College of Wales, which was started by a man called Rhys Howells. And they wrote the book, Rhys Howells Intercessor, a very famous book. And uh, God placed in the heart of our senior pastor to, to, to purchase that land uh, in Wales. So it won't be uh, knocked down and made into houses, but that God would continue to use that place. To train people and to send people out into the mission field and in the UK as well. And so we've just gone there just uh, nine months ago, and so we're just building up things there, and uh, it's just so good to have the link still here with Rotherham. Of course, my cousin George is here, and uh, it's incredible to see the change in his life. I'll talk about that a little bit later. And, uh, you know, actually, you know, the great thing is that um, this message this, this morning, I just felt it was of the Lord, and through the song, through what's happened, this is what I'm going to talk about this morning. Victory is possible. Oh, thank you very much, Manny. That's very encouraging from the front. Victory is possible! Do you believe that? Victory is possible! 
For Christians, victory is possible. We don't have to live in negativity and shame and guilt and all these things that we, the devil puts upon us. We can live victorious lives, free, free from the bondages of sin and free from the habits that bind us so easily. We can live a life of victory. Now yesterday I went to the hockey. Where's Jonathan? Is he here? I want to see the superstar on the front row play roller hockey. And you know, the first game that we went to, it was quite amazing because there's meant to be eight players in a team. And the team who's going to be playing only had, I think, five players. And the idea is, it's such a, it's such a, a, a strenuous game that every three minutes, you might swap over and substitute. So John and his team, they're always going out and out and, but the other team only had five players. So they had no substitutes. So in the first five minutes of the 40 minute game, they were doing well. They were doing good. It was 1-1 for ages. But you know, as the time went on, they, they got no break. They got no rest. At half time, they were, something in mind. Half time was like 10-1. And by the end of the game, it was 22-1. You know, and they absolutely looked like, defeated foes, you know, going, and I just thought, if only you'd come with your full team, if only you'd come with the right spirit, if only you'd come realizing who you were, you could have had a really good game against Johnny and the superstars, but they never. And I was thinking about that this morning, it's, it's like us, we, we wake up, and we don't wake up in victory, we go to work, we don't go to work in victory. We face our problems. We don't face the problems in victory. I want to encourage you that whatever is going around, on in your life this, this week or this month or this year, you can have victory in Christ. You can be set free from the things that bind you. The things, you know, how many Christians have got a weakness and year after year they come back. They go on to do great. They go on to do great. Bang! Here it comes again. And in our lives there are weaknesses and things that the enemy comes and speaks against us. We can have victory in Christ. We can be set free from those things. And we can be free to live for Christ. Amen? That's what I want to talk about. I want to give you the keys to live in a victorious life. Keys that you might be overcome. And it's not rocket science. This is taken from, from a very well-known scripture in the Bible. And uh, I believe that this morning we can, we can realize that in some of these areas we can be free. In some of these areas we can be free from the things that hold us back. You know, I want to tell you something that we almost understand. The next slide. Everybody makes mistakes. Do you know that? But so many Christians never ever get over their mistakes. So many Christians never realize that there's forgiveness. They never realize that there's grace. They never realize that it doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It's as long as you get up. We sang about it today, about His grace. Where there's sin, there's grace. Where there's grace, there's the Lord. And where the Lord is, there is freedom. We need to learn from our mistakes. Try not make the same mistake twice. But realize that those mistakes can actually be turning points of our lives. And everybody, the, the good thing is that in, in God's Word, you know, it doesn't mess around. It tells it as it is. If we wrote about each other, we'd always, you know, when you go to a funeral service and they're doing the funeral service and the, the priest or the vicar or the pastor is talking about the person here, you're thinking, are they talking about the same guy? Because we always talk about the good things. But the Bible doesn't just talk about the good things. It talks about the bad and the ugly things. And all these people on here have made mistakes. Moses was a murderer. Can God use a murderer? 
Could God change the life of a murderer? Yes, He can. He can. And He did. David was also a murderer. He didn't actually physically kill somebody, but he loved a, a woman so much that he, he put her husband in the front line to make sure he would die. That's kind of murder, isn't it? And then committed adultery. Isaac, a liar, a cheater. The disciples. You know, Peter said, Lord, even though everybody else forsake you, I'll be there. But then cock-a-doodle-doo. And look what happened. And he wept bitterly. And when Jesus died on the cross, the most, the most upset person was Peter. Because he told them, I'll always be there. Even though the rest of them forsake you, I'll be there. But he wasn't there. And yet, on the day of Pentecost, that same Peter, that forgiven Peter, that new Peter, that brand new Peter, preached. And 3,000 came to know Christ. Wow. Yeah, we make mistakes. We all make mistakes. You know, when I was in Bible college, I read the Bible college there in the Philippines, and that's a really interesting experience. Because here in Bible college in UK, we, we get somebody in church that's doing great, they've got potential, and we send them to Bible college to develop their gift in Amen. Well, usually in Bible college in the Philippines, we send them there because they're troublemakers and they need to get saved. And I never realized this until, my, until well into my second year, thinking, I can't understand why these people can't even pray. I can't understand why these people are taking so long to become disciples. It's like we're at the first... Then I realized, that's it. Most of them don't know the Lord when they come. <laughs> now that was completely talk about the box. That was just like crazy. And I was driving along one day going to a mission with this student who had become a Christian and he was doing great. And we're driving along, just me and him. And this very, uh, the precipice here. And he says, Pastor Mark, can I tell you something? I said, yeah, yeah. We're staying away in my car. He says, you know, I murdered somebody right there in that corner and threw him down that cliff. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, the fear of God came on me. And I'm trying to think, have I disciplined him this week? Have I been bad to him this week? And this little guy, you know, had murdered somebody, threw him down a cliff, and then been in jail for five or six years. You know, there was a guy in our, in, our, in our year, in our Bible college, and he told me his testimony, I was amazed. He said, you know what I used to be? I said, no, I used to be a grave robber. I thought, what? A grave robber? Yeah. He said, during the day, or during the night, I was a hold-upper. I used to hold up people. Get there, you know, on the, on the dark nights and the, and the quiet roads. Used to go there with my motorbike, with my friend and my gun, and hold up the people. Get all their money and put it in my pocket and whee, they're gone. But during the day, he said, I had a good job. I was the local grave digger. And me and my friends, we used to go to this, the funeral par parlor and we'd, you know, we'd dress up all the people with their jewelry and everything and then they would bury them. And he said, one hour after burial, when everybody's gone home, we take out all the stuff again, we open up the coffin at, you know, at night time and we take off all the jewelry and all the money again. He said, that was my job. And I'm thinking, Lord, what kind, of a, what kind of a Bible college is this, you know? And even little mistakes, you know? One time, this guy said to me, a student in the Bible college, he says, I'm an expert in washing cars. I thought, oh, wow. I thought, that's great. And I, for the first time in my life, 
and raise money to buy a new blue Isuzu Jeep thing, you know. Because so, the, the peso was so weak that, you know, could do it then. So I thought, wow. And I bought, I bought this um, blue wax, you know the blue wax? Color blue it was called. I thought, wow, I'm going to get this shining and beautiful. And It was only like one week old. And this guy said, I'm an expert. I said, okay, no problem. So I went there and Mary gave him some tea. And, the, you know, he started to wax the car blue. It was just beautiful. And then after an hour, I realized he hasn't come back in again. I thought, where is he? I looked outside. I couldn't see him. I thought, oh, he's going for his coffee, you know. Two hours later, I'm thinking, where, where's this guy? And, you know, I couldn't find him anywhere. So I went to look at the car. I noticed my, my nice silver bumpers were also blue. You know, and then I opened the car door, and I'll never forget it. This little Filipino guy was covered in blue paint. And he put blue all the inside of my car. All the nice cream covers I had was all blue. All the windows were blue. The dashboard was blue. The whole car was blue. And he said, I'm doing a good job. And I realized, you're doing a good job. Get back to that Bible college. My whole car was blue. Even the day I sold it five years later, it was still blue inside, you know. And, you know, he realized I was upset with him. And I realized, wow, what a mistake. But I realized that his heart was good, but he just didn't understand what I asked him to do. And so, in our lives, every one of us makes big mistakes and small mistakes. Life-changing mistakes and mistakes at work. And yet, God has called us to live in victory. And no matter what mistakes that we've made, I want to tell you this morning, no matter what mistakes you've made in your life, up to this point, you can be free today. And you can have victory today. And I want to talk about a man called David. Uh, and it's a very, very well-known scripture. But in, in this few verses we'll find, you know, um, the keys to living a life of victory. David, as we said already, was a great king, a wonderful king, the greatest king in, in Israel. And uh, he extended the border of Israel. There was nobody like him. He was a warrior. We all know about David, the tremendous man of God, a man after God's own heart. And yet, he made a huge mistake. I mean, you can't even believe the mistake that David made. It says, when kings should go to war and fight, David decided to stay behind. He probably thought to himself, well, they don't need me anymore. We are so powerful, we are so great, we are so mighty. They don't need David anymore. I'm going to stay back, still chill by the pool, have some Coca-Colas, and we'll send all the other guys. They're going to win anyway. It's a done deal. But you know something, friends? That's what happens in our lives sometimes. We're automatic pilot. We think that we're doing great. We're coming to church. We're coming to prayer meeting. We're doing well. And we think, well, maybe I'll just miss this service. Or, you know, and before we know it, we're trapped. Because when he's sitting by the pool, all of a sudden he sees this beautiful lady over in the window. And his heart went boom, boom, boom. No matter how great you are, no matter how wonderful you think you are, no matter how godly you are, Man and woman, your heart can still go boom, boom, boom. And when he saw this lady, he thought, wow, I want, I want her. And we know the story, he found out who she was, he found out where her husband was, and he put her husband um, um, in the front line to make sure he was dead. And when he found out he was dead, he took her to herself and committed adultery. And he thought, nobody knows. You know, sometimes in our lives we think that nobody knows. Nobody will know. Nobody will find out. 
I think if we went round everybody this morning and said, tell me your worst secret, we would really be quite shocked. Wouldn't we? We would. We'd, you would never believe it. And we think sometimes nobody knows, nobody sees. But somebody knows and somebody sees. And yet, no matter, even though he knows and sees, there's forgiveness. And David was confronted by the prophet, Thou art the man. And he was humbled and he realized, What have I done? And you know, God was compassionate to him. God loved him. And God restored many things. But because of the consequence of sin, there was many rebellions, much bitterness, hardships in his life. And when you read Psalm 51, just a few verses, this is the heart of David. This is the cry of David. This is the turning point in his life. And these are the words that David used to get from where he was to where he, he wanted to be. To go from a place of misery, a place of depression, a place of sadness, to become the king again. And that, that, that relationship was restored. Look at these words from Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Now I want to take some of these phrases that David uses, how we can apply this to our lives, to become the people God wants us to be, and to live in victory. The first thing he said this, was give me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. David knew what he was. He knew what he'd done. He realized the sin that he committed. And he says the first thing, God, before everything else, give me a clean heart. I want to be free. I want to be clean. I want to be restored. Lord, I want you to take the sin that I've done, the terrible mistake that I've made, and cleanse me. Take away the filth that I've done, Lord, and give me a clean heart. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He was a clean heart and clean hands. You know, and as a Christian, we know when we do wrong. We know when we make bad choices. We know when we do things that hurt the Lord. And sometimes these things mount up and up and up and the small things that we think are insignificant become huge things and actually block us from the, from the grace of God. And very often when you look at someone that, that's backslidden and you ask, how did it all begin? It was usually something really, really small that they never dealt with. And I want to encourage every one of us here this morning. Is your heart clean? The things that you do, the things that you say, the way that you think, the things that you watch, the things that you, you know, the places that you go, is it clean? If you want to be used by God, my friend, He uses clean hearts and clean hands. And before we do anything else, I want to ask us, are we clean this morning? When we come into God's presence, how do we feel? Do we have clean hands and a pure heart? You know, there's nothing like being forgiven by God. I'll tell you, I, I was going to say, you my cousin George here. I've never seen a more transformed life than my cousin George. Because, you know, when I was growing up, 
you know, I just felt that, you know, there's so many things in his life that, you know, I was, I was a small cousin, I was joking the other day, he used to beat me up and used to play sports, he used to be good friends and best enemies at the same time. And you know, when George grew up, he had so many wonderful things and, you know, when, when, I, when I think about his life, what it used to be, I remember at my brother's wedding, my mom said, now listen, your cousin George wants to talk to you. And before you start, you'll never believe it. I thought, what? What's my mom talking about? And when I came out of the toilet, because I was sick, I had, mal- had malaria, came out and George was waiting for me. He said, I want to tell you something, Mark. I've been saved. And then we stood there for about, what, 30 minutes, George? And he told me the whole story. And I was standing there with my mouth open, thinking, what? I, I couldn't believe I was actually there. To hear my cousin speak like he spoke. And then pray at the end. I thought, this is the greatest miracle. I've been in Africa, I've seen so many things, but this is the, the greatest miracle I've ever seen. And he told me the story of how he found the Lord. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. When Jesus forgives, he forgives fully. When Jesus forgives, he, he, you know, he forgets as well. And you know, no matter who we are, we can come in, you know, whatever we've been through, whatever we've done, we can have forgiveness! We can have, be clean! Friends, I want to tell you, you want to live a, a good life and a, and a great life for God, we need to have short accounts. An old man told me before I went to Bible college, keep short accounts with God. When you do something wrong, say, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. I've always kept that. Keep short accounts with God. And I want to encourage all of us to look at our lives. Look at our hearts. Look at our motives. Look at what we do. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. See if there be some wicked way in me. And cleanse me from every sin. And that's the first thing that David said. Lord, give me a clean heart. The second thing he said was this. And give me a right spirit. Create me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. David knew it was good to have a clean heart, but his spirit also needed to be renewed. Give me a right spirit. And David knew that while he was in that place of, 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 of sin, while he was in that place where he messed up, his spirit wasn't right. He was agitated. He couldn't worship like he worshipped before. He couldn't pray like he prayed before. It was like the heavens were like brass. And he said, oh God, give me the right spirit. No matter what people say against me, no matter what I say to people, give me the right heart and the right spirit. Give me the right spirit. You know, the enemy will try anything to give you the wrong spirit. That's why many churches are full of bitterness. So many churches are full of jealousies. So many people are full of unforgiveness. And you know, when you live in bitterness and jealousy and unforgiveness and all these other negative things, you feel it. You can feel it. If you, if you, have, un, if you have unforgiveness in your life, if you've chosen not to forgive somebody, when you come into here to worship, you're going to feel it. You're going to know it. It's going to come back to you. Again and again and again and again. Yet so many Christians don't realize they are blocked from the blessings of God because of their unforgiveness. Because of their bitterness. 
because of jealousy, because of something that happened. How many churches do we know that some, somebody sits this side of the church, somebody sits this side of the church, they come and they worship, they break bread together, yet they won't reconcile. God says, how can you, how can you love me? We can't even love your brother. And it's so important that we have the right spirit. When we have the right spirit, we can enter his court with praise. We can come in with thanksgiving. We can speak to people. There's a smile on our face because we know that things are well. And things are well. Horizontal and vertical. We have to make sure that in our lives we always put things right. Between us and God. And us and God's people. You know, this is a hard thing for me to learn. Because last year, when you were coming home 2012, and in 2011 it was actually, we just set everything up nicely to leave the Philippines. And you know, in 2006 or 2007, I'd handed the church, the main church, over to my spiritual son, a guy called Marlo. And uh, this guy Marlo and his wife was very precious to me. Uh, in fact, he's been in this church. George, you know him very well. And uh, I felt God was saying, hand the church to Marlow. He will lead it. And he did. did a great job. And you know, something happened that really hurt me. Out of the blue. Mary went home to see her dad, who we thought at that point was dying. And on that day that Mary went home, I got a letter with a bunch of keys saying, thank you for all your involvement in my life, but I'm resigning. Here's the keys. Don't contact me for one month. And I, thought, I was stunned. On the di- most difficult day, you know, he decides to, my son. And so I thought, what is going on? And so I went to speak to one of the, the, the leaders of the church. And, you know, he said, yeah, it's already done. We've, we've sorted it all out. The, all the leaders are going. Except one that they didn't want. <laughs> and, all, and most of the congregation are going to go with Marlon. We're going to start a brand new church. <gasps> couldn't believe it. So I texted him and said, look, if I'm, your, if I'm your spiritual father, I want to meet you at two o'clock at this particular coffee shop. And so I met them, and they just sat there with their heads down. I never knew already that they already had been ordained by a different group, that everything had been set up. They planned a brand new church. They were ready to, to, to move out and bring all the people with them. I never knew all these things. But I confronted them, and they never said a word. All they said was, can we speak to the people on Sunday? I said, Sunday? I said, you need to stay for three months because we've got to put everything in order for you leaving. No, we're leaving on Monday. So we need to be there on Sunday. Oh, I was so upset. Mary was in the UK. And I was really, really upset. And I found out they're going to split this church and take most of the leaders and most of the people. And on the Saturday night, I was so low. I said, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And God said to me, I'm glad you asked. What I want you to do is to wash their feet on Sunday morning. I said, wash their feet? All I want to do is slap their face, you know. <laughs> I don't want to wash their feet. Wash their feet? That's the last I'll take a book of water. You know, that's what I thought, you know. And somebody sent me a text saying, whatever God has put in your heart, do it. Oh, Lord, you really got me here. So on the Sunday morning, I said, okay, Lord, you know better than me. And he told everybody behind my back that I wanted him to leave. I was forcing him out. I had done certain things and said certain things that I never knew anything about. I never actually did anything. But you know, that morning I decided, well, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bless them out, you know. And so in the service with worship, and it was my time to preach, and I just honored them. And I blessed them. 
And I told the congregation, I love this couple. You know, I've, 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 I've dedicated their children. They've been through our school. You know, I've been there at our difficult times. I love them and I don't want them to go. <gasps> when, when I said that, they went, the whole church went, because <gasps> it's completely opposite to what he's been telling everybody, you know. And I want them to stay in this church, but they feel it's time to go, so we have to bless them, but I honor them. And, I, and then I got the bucket out and I began, to, when I began to wash their feet, people began to cry. And began to come out and began to wash each other's feet. But you know, when I'm trying to wash, wash their feet, they didn't want me to wash them. They're keeping their feet back, you know. I was full on going to wash your feet. You know? <laughs> but you know the amazing thing? Only his cousin left the church in the end. All the leaders stayed, except two who went later on. But the majority of the people, most of the people, all stayed. And when we talked to them, you know, it's a horrible time when we don't know if people are coming or going. Because we heard all these people are going, but they're coming every Sunday to our church. And when I spoke to them, they said, you know, Pastor Mark, when you wash the feet, those guys, we realize the truth is in you. And we saw the spirit that you had wasn't the spirit that he's telling everybody that you had. We saw the spirit of God moving you. And you know, everything within me was trying to throw water upon them. But the Spirit of God says, wash their feet. And because I did that, changed everything. I want to tell you something. It's more important to have the right spirit than to be right. It's more important to have the right spirit than to be right. Many people are right, but they've done it in the wrong way. And they end up with a wrong spirit. Do things right with the right spirit. And David knew it's the one thing to have a clean heart, but Lord, give me a right spirit. Look at your heart. Look at your life. Do you have a right spirit? Do you have the right attitude? When you come into God's house, do you have the right attitude? The right heart, the right spirit? It's so important that, that we have those things. The third thing that David talked here was a desire for God's presence. He says, cast me not away. Or do not cast me from your presence, oh God. You know, when you look at David, right from a boy, when he played the harp and he, he worshipped God, he wrote poems. He was a man after God's own heart. He loved the presence of God. When he came up against this mighty Goliath, he said, I don't come against you in my own name. I come against you in the name of the Lord. And, the de- and, and that, that Goliath came down. He loved the presence of God. He loved to go away and spend time with the Lord. He loved to be in the mountain top, worshipping God. He was there with his boxer shorts, coming up in front of everybody, dancing and praising God. He loved the presence of God. But when he committed that sin, and when he was found out, he felt so low and so despicable. Probably he felt, how, how, can, I, how can I face myself? Look what I've done! But once he began to, to ask God for forgiveness, this is what he says, Lord, it's your presence I want. It's your presence. He wrote those beautiful words. As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs after you. Where can I go and meet you, God? That's the cry of David. Give me a clean heart. Give me a right spirit. Why? Because I want to be with you. I'd rather spend one day with you than a thousand anywhere else, Lord. It's his presence, friends. It's His presence. Moses said, Unless you go with us, Lord, we're not going. We're not going. 
Wherever we go, we can have the presence of God with us. You know, I want to talk to you as a church now. Don't worry about the smoke machines and the fancy, fancy lights. What you need is the presence of God. The presence of God. When Jesus walked around Jerusalem and Capernaum and Bethany and all these places, if you didn't know where he was, you didn't need a sat nav. Just go, shh. And you heard people, yeah, great, wonderful, woo, amazing, wow, joy, happiness, singing, dancing. Because where he was, people were set free, people, people were completely restored, blind eyes were open, deaf ears were open. It was an amazing, you knew where Jesus was, it was exciting, it was full of joy, full of hope, wonderful. Unlike many of our churches today. When I walk into churches now, I always say, Lord, are you here? What a strange question. But you know, you can walk into a church and if the motive of the leaders is wrong and the way they do things is wrong and the reason why they are here is wrong, God can be at the back just watching like everybody else. It's the presence of God. In a moment, in the presence of God, your life can be changed. In a moment, in the presence of God, God can give you a word. In a moment, in the presence of God, you can be healed. In the moment, in the presence of God, you can be completely set free from the things that hold you. And as individuals, friends, I want to tell you the most precious time that you have in your lives is your time with God. It's not even your time with your family, which is wonderful. But it's that secret place. It's that time when you can be face to face with Him. And you can talk to Him. And you communicate with Him. He can bless you and restore you and fill you full of faith and His Spirit. It's that place when it's just you and Him. Friends, I want to encourage you. Be, be desperate for the presence of God. Make it your, your challenge of your life. Lord, I want to be where you are. Lord, I want to be in your presence, Lord. At one time, we had this guy who became one of our leaders eventually. Who's now in heaven actually. His name was Henry. And uh, he was a tremendous guy. With such a burden to feed the children in Santiago. I think one year they fed about 80,000 kids. An amazing, an amazing guy. But before he was a Christian. He had a few problems. Because he set up this agency. That was sending people abroad. But actually, you know, you know Filipinos. They would pay before they go. And they would go over there. But Henry and his friends sort of spent the money that they'd given him for the return fare. And when things went wrong, there's no money to get these people back and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he ended up in jail. One day we were having a prayer meeting and the police came in and said, Okay, Henry, Rustia, come on, let's go. I thought, what's happening here? And we went to jail. So I went with him. And the, the jail in Santiago is horrible. There was 18 people or 20 people in this cell and they're all looking at me. You know, so I thought, whoa. And here's Henry, you know. New Christian Henry. I'm thinking, oh Lord. You know, I just thought, like a sheep before wolves, you know. That's what I'm thinking. This guy is just going to be cut up. These guys are tough. And I said, Henry, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good. No, Henry, are you really okay? Yeah, I'm good. The Lord is with me. I thought, oh, yeah, that's true. I forgot. But, you know, are you going to be okay tonight? Can you stay for two nights there? And I thought, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. Don't worry. I'll be fine. So they put him in this cage with these other 18 guys. And, the, you know, when they, put, they sat down, 
two guys came and sat beside him and thought, oh, I don't like the look of that. Don't like it. And you know, Mary will tell you that night, I came home and I, said, I was crying. I said, Mary, I just feel so low for, for Henry. I honestly don't know if he's going to be beaten up. Because I heard so many stories about Philippine prisons. And it's not actually sometimes the, the, the prisoners. It's actually the guards sometimes that beat you up, you know. They don't like to look at your face. And I, I was worried about him, you know. But I felt a peace of God. And I went there the next day. It's like, it's like you know, Daniel in the lion's den. I'm thinking, is he, is, he, is he alive? And I went in. I'll never forget it. He was sitting there outside the, outside the jail, the cage. Speaking to somebody, and two people waiting to speak to him. And he looked at me and said, Oh, did you have a good sleep, Pastor Mark? I thought, what? I said, Henry, what's happening here? He said, Well, I've led six people to the Lord. <laughs> six people to the Lord, and these other two are just waiting. I'm just going to counsel them in a minute. You know what I'm thinking? And this guy here, he wants to already, already he wants to go to the Bible school. I thought, Oh, here we go again, you know? <laughs> and then I realized, You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. If you belong to God, He's got you in the palm of His hands. And no matter what storm is going on around you, no matter what's happening with your family, no matter what problems you've got at school, no matter what's happening back home in your you know, it doesn't matter. You're right there in the palm of His hands. And no matter what you go through, you can go there and meet with Him. And all the storms going on, and the wind's still blowing, but it's just you and Him. And David knew, man, he's given me a second chance. There's going to be scoffers, there's going to be doubters, there's going to be people that's going to say this and say that and all these things. But Lord, above everything else, give me back your presence. Do you hunger for his presence? Do you long for his presence? Do you long to come to church and just worship him? Or do you allow the circumstances around you to allow you to come in here with a bad spirit? And a bad heart. David knew, David knew it's your presence. Fourth thing that he said was this and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David had a walk in the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. This is pre Pentecost. This is the Old Testament. But David knew the Holy Spirit. He knew the importance of the Holy Spirit. That's why he can write these songs and write these poems. That's why he can be so prophetic. You know, when you, when you read some of the Psalms, it's so prophetic about the Messiah. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was working through David and in David. He walked with the Holy Spirit. And when he'd sinned and done wrong, he realized, I'm not, Holy Spirit, where are you? You're not where you used to be. And he says, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you. Wow, the amazing thing in the New Testament. Woo! The Holy Spirit came the day of Pentecost. It's not just for a few, few special people, for a few special tasks. It's for us. It's for all of us. I want to encourage all of you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. To receive the Holy Spirit. You know, to, to, to say, God, I want to be a person in my life that eagerly desires spiritual gifts. Woo! The Holy Spirit wants to walk with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to, he wants to be with you wherever you are. He wants to give you words of knowledge. He wants to speak into your ear. He wants to, to, to commune with you. Jesus said to his disciples, He said, it's good that I go to heaven, because unless I go to heaven, I can't send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And the word he used was paraclete. It's my exact representative. It's my exact 
substitution. It's my advocate. Not just one person in a room, but he'll be everywhere. And when you read the book of Acts, you'll find out that, that the Holy Spirit was just as real as Jesus. He filled them. He inspired them. He warned them. He elected leadership. He gave them dreams. He filled them again. The Holy Spirit was in complete control. That's why the book of Acts, you know, it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Should be. Because the apostles were nothing without the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage us to be people of the Holy Spirit. Not just to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, tick a box, that's it, finished. No! There's so much more! That's the tragedy of Pentecostal churches. We speak in tongues, you fit the, the, you fit the bill, you tick the box, hallelujah. You know, this tongues, just when you're singing songs and the music goes drum, 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 just sing, that's it. But there's so much more. That's why Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Friends, there's so much more for us. I want this church to be a church of the Holy Spirit, just like we're all different. Every one of you is different. Different characters, different personalities, different cultures, different faces, different fingerprints. God wants to give us different gifts to use, to edify Him, and to reach the lost. We need to rise up and say, God, I want prophecy. God, I want healing. God, I want the gift of discernment. And James said, you don't have, because why? Don't ask for it. And the tragedy is that in our churches, even the most modern, you know, big churches, mega churches, or even a small church, you find that only like 1% of the people are actually pursuing spiritual gifts. Everybody else is just so happy to speak in tongues and that's it. I love speaking in tongues. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit age 11. You know, and I've been being, being filled many, many years since then. But you know, in my life, I want healing. I want miracles. I want the prophetic. I want discernment. Lord, I want them all. Why? Because there's a lost world out there. And you know, when I'm talking to people, I want to hear words of knowledge. I want to hear discernment. I want to know what you're saying, Lord. I want to say, this is what the Lord said. One of the biggest lies in the Pentecostal church is once you get tongues, that's it. That's not it. There's so much more. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, words of knowledge. Words of wisdom, wow. I was telling these guys yesterday, I went to Africa when I was just young, 22 years old, to Ghana. And uh, I was just a bit green behind the ears, you know. And, uh, and all these pastors, you know, they said, can you come and give us a, a, a workshop about spiritual warfare and about gifts of the Spirit? I thought, what? How can I teach them? What can, I, what can I do 22 years old? Some of these guys have been in the ministry for 175 years, you know, and they've got... One of them in a church of 5,000, and here was me, fresh from Marcy, you know, via Edinburgh, thinking, what, what can I teach them? And God said to me, I'll tell you what to teach them. And he showed me something. So I got a big blackboard out, you know. And these guys know what's coming, <laughs> I told them last night. And I said, okay, you want me to teach them a gift of the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to do it from textbook, or some program, that was pre-DVDs. I'm going to do a survey. And so I wrote down, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The nine gifts that we always talk about. 
and sort out their tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy. I said, what are they? Oh, they are the spoken gifts. Oh, they knew, they knew it. They knew it. And then we wrote down faith and healing, miracles. What are they? Pastor Mark, they are the power gifts. Wow, wonderful. And then I wrote down the, uh, the sermon, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. What are they? They are the revelatory. Oh, the, the revelatory gifts. I thought, wow, that's wonderful. And they were feeling happy because they knew it. They knew it. I said, okay, now we're going to do, uh, uh, put down some lines. I said, okay, how many of you today have spoken in tongues? Oh, they were AOG. Oh! Out of 106 people, 106 people spoke in tongues. I had to get, that, to get the credentials, by the way, so I knew it was 106, you know. Even though they didn't speak in tongues, I knew they would lie, you know. <laughs> you know. Then I started going down the line, okay. How many of you have got the gifts of interpretation of tongues? You've used it in the last maybe month. Ooh. Nobody, okay, zero. And I went down this list, you know. How many of you have the gift of healing? Or there's a few healing, you know, Africa. Africa. You know, I went down the list, the word of knowledge. So it's like 106. Zero, one, two, three, zero, five, twenty-five, two, one. And I said, and well, you've just shown me today that you're all talk with no revelation and no power. Oh, that one day conference lasted for three days. <laughs> because they realized it's true. We emphasize one gift, but there's so much more. And I want to encourage all of you, young people as well, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Be like Jacob. Lord, I'm not going to go until you bless me. Lord, my friend, I need healing, Lord. Give me the gift of you. Lord, I want to put your hands on the sick. I want to see people who don't know you. I'll lay hands on them. They're healed. And they find you. What a challenge, eh? David said, Don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. There's a guy in the Philippines. This guy in our Bible college, I didn't, he, wasn't, he was there one year before me, I went there. But they told me a story. His name was Delphin. And this guy, he, co- he got drunk, right? In this barangay. He got drunk. He went to the main hall in the barangay, in the, the town hall. And he was drunk and he smashed the TV. He smashed the chair. He smashed everything. And he was drunk. And so the, he was the nephew of the pastor. And so the pastor met with the barangay captain, the guy in charge of the whole village, and him. And so what are going to do with this guy, Delphin? And the pastor said, why don't we send the Bible college? <laughs> wow. This guy was the strongest guy I've ever met. And so, he came to Bible college apparently, and him and this other bank manager guy, they're always fighting, they took out shotguns to each other, you know, in Bible college. I mean, how radical is that? But he became a Christian, and you know what God did? This is the power of God. God gave him the burden to work at the weekends, to raise enough money to pay back the TV and all the other stuff that he destroyed. And so that's what he did. He raised enough money over the year and he went back to his barangay captain and said, look, here's the money for all the things I've destroyed. You know, I want to, I want to repay, you know. And that was at Christmas time. And you know what happened? He learned about the Holy Spirit. And so, <clears throat> he told me December 31st, 2001 it was. He asked for the, all the children to go to the barangay hall, the town hall. And he said, he started talking to them about the Holy Spirit. I mean, it wasn't Christmas time or anything. It wasn't didn't talk about Christmas or anything. He talked about the Holy Spirit. And this little boy said, can I get that? He said, yeah, you can get that. So he prayed for this little boy. You know? Bang! Power of God came. He began to speak in tongues. He began to pray for all these kids. In his little kids club, you know? 
Ah, the power of God came. He says, for two hours, they worshipped and they spoke in tongues. And they worshipped God and they were praying for each other. And it came, it came, it was so amazing. He said, at 10 o'clock at night, their moms and dads and their grandfathers all came to the, to the town hall thinking, where's my kids? And as the kids saw them, they ran towards their moms and dads and said, in the name of Jesus. And you know, all the moms and dads fell flat on the ground and were, 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 were touched by God. And they got and gave, they said, what happened? Give their life to Christ. He said, next morning, I baptized 29 brand new people. One guy didn't know much about the Holy Spirit, but he knew enough. And because he was faithful, God used him to start a brand new church. Friends, I want to encourage you, don't stay where you are. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Wrestle with God and say, God, this is what I need for my school. This is what I need for my friends, my family. I'm going to pursue you. Okay. Fifth thing, we're getting there. Are you okay out there? The joy of his salvation. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Lord, I've been a miserable old guy for so long now because of what I've done. I don't want that anymore. I want the joy back. I want to be happy again. Restore to me my joy, Lord, because I'm dying without it. Give me back my joy. You know, <laughs> you, go, you know, some, some Christians... The joy is so deep that you can't even perceive it. You know, it's... Are you joyful? I'm joyful. One guy, I went to a church and this is what the guy said. If you have come... Scottish accent. If you have come for the wrath of God... No, he said, if you come for joy, you have come to the wrong place. This is the very start of the service. I thought, talk about setting the tone, you know. If you have come for dancing, you have come to the wrong place. If you have come for happy music, you have come to the wrong place. But if you're here for the wrath of God, you have come to the right place. <laughs> what a nerve. I'm surprised there's even two people in that church, you know what I mean? The joy of the Lord is our strength. We should be the happiest people on earth. You know, a few weeks ago I just want to remind you, in the Millennium Stadium in the rugby in the last day of the season when the English thought they were going to win by the way Wales came and were absolutely amazing they actually beat England 30 points to 3 I just wanted to just oh I forgot I'm not in Wales oh my oh. I wonder why you weren't, weren't happy there you know and the whole of Wales rejoiced Whatever you went in the streets and the churches, woohoo, they're so happy. They were rejoicing. When you saw the television program, the players were lifting each other up. The whole place was full of joy. The people were dancing, hugging each other, kissing total, total strangers. They were so happy. And I thought, wow. All that for a cup. And when you come to a church, it's like, hello, Pastor Mark, how are you? How are you doing? I'm fine. You know, the Christians have got this thing, the teeth. I'm fine. You know, and they're shaking your hand, you know, thinking, my life's falling apart, my husband's left me, my dog's died. I'm fine, you know. I'm fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've got no money. I forgot the walk. You know, and we've got this mask that we wear, isn't it? And we come to church miserable. This is a miserable free church. Amen? This should be the happiest place in Rotherham. You know why? You deserve to go to hell, but now you're going to heaven. Your sin has been forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, He's forgiven you. The King of glory walks with you. The King of all the earth loves you. 
You've got a hope and a future that the people of this world don't even know about. All those Welsh people, they've forgotten about that cup. But we've got something that we'll never, ever, ever forget. I was lost, but he found me. I was blind, but now I see. I deserve to go to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. If that doesn't make you full of joy, nothing will. Wow. Ooh. That's a nerve there, eh? Turn to the person next to you, give them the biggest smile you've ever given them. Come on. You see, how come in church it even feels a bit false, you know? Doesn't it? I want to encourage you that next time you come to church, when you come through those doors, you, you, you've decided, I'm going to celebrate, I'm going to dance, I'm going to be happy, I'm not going to talk about my problems, I'm not going to talk about the things that I'm going through, I'm going to give Him all the praise and all the glory and let the joy of the Lord be my strength. Amen. Then you'll find that people from all around Rotherham will want to come here because it's the happiest place in Rotherham. Amen. Why is church just so dull and so pathetic and so... I want to have the happiest church in Swansea. That's what I want. That's what I want. Because one of the evidences of the presence of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord, what? There's fullness of joy. So, if there's no joy, there's no Lord. Wow. Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. Can you imagine that? They've been beaten up. Their backs are red raw. There's blood everywhere. They're in the darkest prison. It's smelly. It smells like urine and dirt. And they're chained against this thing. And all that they've done was set a girl free. All they've done was something really good. And they're standing there. Oh, it's so sore. It's so... Ah, no. And Paul goes, Silas, don't complain. Come on. Let's sing. Okay, let's sing, Paul. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working. No, 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 Silas, not that song. No, 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 no. Paper rolls. No, 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 Silas, don't sing that sad songs. Let's give God all the glory for this. Give God all the glory. Yeah, let's praise the Lord. That'll change everything. Well, okay, let's give it a go. You know. Lord, we lift up your name. Oh, I feel a bit better already. And they began to sing and to worship and to praise. You know, they began to worship the Lord. And as they began to worship the Lord, they realized all this pain that we're going through, actually, it's all about Him. It's all about you. Lord, we love you. We love you. And as they began to praise and worship, whoa, something's happening. And God came and set them free. Wow. The key to your victory is your praise. And the reason why you don't have victory is because you don't praise in the hard times. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Two more. Are you okay? Number six. An obedient life. He said, Lord, then I will obey you. David knew he'd strayed. David knew he'd done wrong. David knew he'd sinned. He said, oh God, once you give me that clean heart, once you give me that new spirit, once I come into your presence again, once, you know, once, Lord, you, that you've, you've restored that joy, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to obey you. No more David and his wild thinking and wild parties. No, Lord. I'm going to obey you. Because you know best. Obeying the Lord is hard. Because you know what? Sometimes or most times, He doesn't give you the easy option. 
We always want the easy option, don't we? We're talking about Abraham yesterday. God called Abraham, Abraham, leave your country, leave your father, leave your mother, leave everything that you know, all your... Come, and I'll take you to that place. You don't even know about it, where it is, or anything like that. But, I'll be with you, and I'll bless you. So Abraham came, and he left, and we know the story of Abraham. He went from place to place. He, he made mistakes as well. Don't forget about that. But he came to a place of building altars before the Lord. Then God said, I'm going to give you a son. Ah, son! I'm a hundred years old. I 99. A son! And we all know what happened. He gave him a son. If you're looking for a miracle this morning, don't laugh. It could happen. And it says in, the, in Genesis 22, that Abraham decided to live in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Do you know what he's thinking? Oh, I've retired. <laughs> Come on, Sarah. We're really old. We're over a hundred now. We've got this little baby boy. He's a rascal. He's running about everywhere. You know. Let's just settle down. Land of the Philistines. Nice house. By the mountains. And he stayed there for a long time. In Genesis 23, it starts with this. God decided to test Abraham. All of a sudden, God said, Abraham, you still there? Here I am, Lord. Okay, Abraham, I know you've had a nice life. You've, you've been a few years now just bringing up that child, but now I've got a new, a new mission for you. What is it, Lord? Take that son, your only son, the son whom you love. I mean, God makes it hard, you know. Take that wonderful, lovely son that I've given you, that promised son, take him to a mountain three days away and kill him. Wow. What do you do when God seems to contradict himself? God said, I'm going to give you a son. Now he's taken it away. What would you do? Oh, if that was me, Lord, you want me to kill Josiah? No way. I'd try and stall for time. I'd phone up a prophet. I'd phone up the pastor. I'd phone up the evangelist. I'd phone up everybody. Is this true? Can this be true? He said, early next morning. Wow. He saddled his donkey. And he went. And in that obedience, he was prepared to give his best. God says, wait. The best promise is for you. And you know, being obedient to the Lord, I tell you right now, is the hardest thing. He'll take you to places you don't really want to go. You'll do things you don't really feel you're cut out to do. You'll say things that you think, well, do I really, should, should I say that? But it's a life of adventure. If you told me 20 years ago, or 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was standing on a box of fish and phrases, but I thought about the God now, then, over, 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 as an auctioneer, fish salesman. If it told me I'd go to Bible college, I'd say, forget it. If it told me in Bible college I'd end up in, 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 in Philippines, I'd say, forget it, no way. If it told me in the Philippines I'd end up in Wales, I'd say, forget it, Wales, no chance. I'm going back to Scotland. <laughs> but I've learned, his way is the best way. His way is the best way. And if we obey, it will be a way of blessing. And some people may be in here, God's asking you to do something and you put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. It's time to say, Lord, no more putting off. From now on, I'm going to serve you. And after you've obeyed, the last thing says this. And then, I will teach transgressors or rebels your ways. And lead them in the ways everlasting. After David went through all these things in his own personal life, a clean heart, a right spirit, the joy of his salvation, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, all these other things. Then, 
I will lead other people in your ways. And I will lead rebels to find you. Isn't that beautiful? God, when He brings you through that whole process, one of the reasons He brings you through is that you can bring other people the same way. Then, then, then. The sad thing is that many Christians never reach the then. <laughs> they give up halfway through. And they sit in churches knowing they should be doing certain things for God, but they never do. But David said, when I've done all these things, then I will lead rebels in your way. And I will teach people about you. Friends, the greatest things that we can do is to point people to Jesus Christ. The most wonderful things that we have in life it's to lead someone to Christ. It's to see the sins forgiven. A brand new, I've been talking to George, some of the testimonies of some of you guys in here is incredible. Friends, I want to encourage you. Yeah, allow God to do lots of things in your own heart, but volunteer yourself to serve the Lord. Amen? There's something that's only for you. There's something that only you can do. God has designed you and made you the way you are. He's called you to this church, not just to sit down and come on a Sunday. There's something for you to do. You've done all these things. You've got your clean heart and all these other things. Then I will lead other people to you. Wow. As you live in victory, you'll see other people live in victory. As you're blessed, you'll bless other people. As you're set free, you can set other people free. Amen? Then, I will lead others. God hasn't called you just to enjoy your own salvation in your little corner. You in your small corner and I in mine. God has called you to be a witness, to be an evangelist, to be a brother, to be a sister, to be a shoulder, to be a handkerchief, to be a hand holder. God has called you to win other people for Him and to influence the lives of others. Who are you influencing? I could tell you all day, all the people who have influenced me, but now, Mark Ritchie, who am, I, who am I influencing? How about you? Who are you influencing? Who are you teaching? Who are you praying with? Who are you pouring your life into? You know, if you're over 40 here in this place, you should have a young person that you're praying for consistently and you're there for them. You want them to succeed in life and succeed in the Lord. We are called to bless the next generation. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways. Let's all stand together. Maybe Adrian can come back to the guitar. I believe the Lord is here this morning. Victory is possible. If God can take a man who is a murderer, an adulterer, 